You're listening to the True Life Church Podcast. Sermons are recorded at our Sunday gatherings from Melbourne, Florida. True Life Church guides people to take the next steps in their relationship with Jesus Christ, to grow, belong, and serve. We hope this audio message encourages you to take your own next steps in faith. If you'd like to know more about our church or attend one of our gatherings, find us online at www.truelifemelbourne.com. Today's message comes from lead pastor Joshua Smith. Good morning. Good morning. My uh, my laptop and iPad went all Backstreet Boys on me this morning. Uh, I know that because they're not in sync. Um, oh yeah, welcome, welcome to True Life Church. Does it feel like it's 98 degrees in here to anybody else, no? Uh, first time guest, any new kids on the block this morning? I right, we can keep them going. So, uh, I don't know, we can keep going a long way, do not test me, uh, we'll be here for days. Um... We are in a series in Acts, as the wonderful uh, video has reminded us. Um, Last week we've been in Acts chapter 5. We're actually going to be referencing that again today. The apostles were all imprisoned for preaching and teaching the word of Jesus. And uh, then a wise man, a a priest respected among them uh, named Gamaliel said, uh, you know, if it's of man, it will fail. If it's of God... Ain't nobody going to be able to stop it. Uh, So just a couple of reminders from last week is that God can use a prison for a purpose. Sometimes we might feel like we are in bondage in a tough situation. I encourage you to to stay faithful um, and remain in the Lord, remain in His Word, and uh, might have one of those great moments that we referenced uh, in, in all of Scripture, you know, name... Name a great person who wasn't imprisoned for their faith. It's almost one of those, you know, like, we just go down the list, all the apostles, and, um, and, uh, and including then Paul and later. Uh, we got everyone from Joseph to, you know, in the Old Testament and other situations. Jonah, I can think of a three-day imprisonment in a whale or a fish that probably wouldn't sound too pleasant either. So God can use a, a prison for a purpose. And hopefully uh, one of our great takeaways... Um, also last week, uh, was just a reminder from the, direct from Scripture uh, that we must obey God rather than man. And uh, we are living in a day and age where, uh, not that it's changed or not that it's different, but it is very obvious where the, where the line is and those who are obedient to God and those who are obedient to man. So that's my hope for us as we continue into today's reading, I invite you to stand as we continue in our series in Acts chapter 6. And again, as is becoming our custom, at some point this will seem like a tradition, and there may be a person generations from now who say, that's the way we've always done it, uh, but you know better. Um, so uh, but let us stand, and, and because God's word is holy, and let's read today's main passage in Acts chapter 1. Or it's chapter 6, verse 1, I'm sorry, Acts chapter 6. Yeah, we're starting the whole series over again. <laughs> yeah, Acts chapter 6, verse 1. 
uh, and uh, 1 through 7. Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists rose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed, and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that... uh, that what uh, I'm able to communicate this morning does not add or take away one iota or one word from the Scripture. But simply, I pray that uh, the time uh, this week and leading to this morning has has been in preparation for just a a deeper study of your Word and its application in our lives. I thank you for the ability to stand here and, uh, and, as of today, openly read your Word with no recourse, there may come a day where that is not available to us. And so I pray that we are thankful for even these things. And that we would be, as the apostles have prayed for boldness, that we would be bold in our faith. And, uh, and it's living out in our lives. God, I pray for our hearts together today, that you would move in our midst, that the Spirit would correct us, that we would spur each other on for good works, to be the church that you have called us at true life to be. In your name we pray. Amen. Let me have a seat. Before we dive into some other scriptures this morning, I just want to pull a couple of things out of the passage which we have just read together. Um, First of all, if we don't understand who the Hellenists are, this is going to be a little bit of a little bit confusing, not totally confusing, um, but basically at this point, all Christians, all people in the church were had formerly been Jews. Uh, Gentiles don't come into the number of the church until around chapter ten or so. So just be on the lookout for that. Um, but so at this point, it's all people who understood. The, the Messianic at some point, who understood the Messianic prof, prophecies, uh, that there was to be a Messiah, that was to be a Redeemer, um, and so they were on the lookout for that. And so for many of them, the, the leap over to say, oh, this Messiah has come and he is Jesus was, well, all right then, I've heard about this Jesus, that he died, that, that he was resurrected on the third day, appeared to many, did continue doing works. I've heard, okay, I, I'll take your word on that, because... People had seen it. They touched the scars that had been in his side, and so this word was, was spreading. And so all, all early Christ followers at this point are, or had been, Jews, Jewish. And between these, there were two distinct groups of Jews, because it's, you know, like humankind to look down on somebody else, someone else, somewhere else, simply because you can. 
It's a human nature in us. It's a sin nature. It's not the way God looks at humankind, who he created in his image. However, it's the way that we, in our fallen nature, look at each other. I'm simply better than this person. I'm smarter than them. I'm richer than them. I'm not that bad off. I didn't make that mistake. And so we create degrees of separation between ourselves and others to justify ourselves. And this is exactly what was going on then. You had former Jews who had lived around Jerusalem, who were Christ-following in the way. The apostles were some of these. And what they're referencing is that a couple of chapters ago, in chapter 2 going into chapter 3, we've already read that that all the believers were gathered together and sharing everything amongst each other, and that caring for one another, and that no one had need of anything. So they were sharing all this. And part of this was the distribution of food and other necessities to the widow and the orphan. All right? Because if you recall, you may not know, but this might be news for you, in, in those days, uh, a woman who was widowed was not able or allowed to take care of herself. All right? She had to be taken care of by someone else. It was the son's responsibility all right, or a brother's responsibility. Sometimes they would enter into a different household uh, so that the, the lady wasn't in charge of having to take care of herself. All right? That's a pretty... Pretty noble thing, all right? And so we have some widows here who were of specifically the the Hellenistic Jews. Now, Hellenistic simply just means Greek-speaking, all right? Uh, And that comes out of the Hellenists, which worshipped Greek gods. So you have, as, as Jews spread, they weren't just in Jerusalem. They were all around the area of Samaria, Judea, uh, Greece, and Rome. You had Jews lots of different places. And in most of those other places, even including in the Roman Empire, Greek was the primary language. And so you had Greek-speaking Jews that then moved back to Jerusalem for, for whatever reason, and when they came back or moved there for the very first time, they were already outcasts. Because the, the Hebrews who had stayed in that area could look down upon those other people. Their accent's funny. Or they haven't been as devoted as we have been in going to the temple. Or they've been a little bit lax in their um, Judaic practices than we have. Look at us. We've been good. This is the Christ came through here, and you don't know this. We've got to educate you. Because right? you're, you're slow or you're different. And so there's this divide already amongst the church, already amongst Jews who had all chosen together to identify Jesus as the Christ, the Messiah. You think, well, there should be unity in the body of Christ, right? Not so. In this case, the Jews gotten some things a little bit different, all right? And so we're going to pick up here with the, the Hellenists, you know, who, Jews who had, whose primary language was, was Greek, compared to the Jews who had stayed in and around the area of Jerusalem. And, and there's this divide between them because the Hellenistic widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And in verse 1 there it says a complaint by the Hellenists. That can, you can also look into that, that that was a murmuring. Uh, and this actually reflects back onto a a not favorable look at how the Israelites murmured, uh, similar wording there, in the desert uh, following and during the exodus, right? complaining. Um, 
Do you know anyone who enjoys a nag? A complainer all the time? No hands? No? Okay, just making sure I don't either. And so on one hand, you're like, should they be complaining? Right? Maybe, maybe not. We, we don't know. We weren't there. What we do know is the result of that. All right? So that the apostles came together they gathered everybody said, hey, we're, we need to talk about this. We need to figure this out. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. All right? Now this isn't a uh, demeaning thing about serving. It's, we're going to come back to this in a, in a bit, so keep your brains there in a little bit. And what they do is they say, well, let's, let's identify seven people who can take over this task. So they probably discovered that there was some validity in the Hellenistic complaints and said, okay, well, let's do something about it. And so they nominate seven to what is essentially the office of deacon. Ever been in a church where there's elders and deacons? Yeah, our church has elders. Uh, my hope is soon we expand the offices to even more uh, biblical reflection. Uh, so keep on the lookout for that. So we have elders and we have deacons. And that's not like a, it's like it seems like a very old-fashioned church thing, doesn't it? Like most modern churches don't even have membership. We do. If you're here, you know that. If many of you have been through the 18 and a half hour long membership class, part one. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just kidding. Usually it takes two to three 45 minute things, but regardless, um, it, we believe here that it's important to be, uh, to be members of one another. As, as laid out for us in 1 Corinthians, to be members of one body, and how can you uh, have any really ties and longing and meaning without being a member of something. If your finger just could fall off at whim, probably not a great finger. Just putting that out there. So it's good for belonging. One of, one of our things that Grace talked about already this morning, growing and belonging and serving. So belonging and membership together. All right. And so what they do is they nominate these, these men, seven men, one of which is Stephen. And next week we're actually going to cover almost two entire chapters uh, with what's going to go on with, with Stephen. Um, a pr- fairly important man that we're about to, to read about. But Stephen is one of these men that they nominate and lay hands on and uh, all up- approve to essentially the office of deacon. And it's also of note that all these seven men were Hellenistic Jews. They had Greek names, you know, not Hebrew names. And so they said, if we're going to really solve this problem, we need to... Not only make the people responsible for that area, but also um, so that there's weight and leverage there among the people, uh, the early church there. Um, And finally, before we go on to some other scriptures today, and then we're going to hopefully tie all this together, look at verse 7. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. And it's a, it's a tiny little half a sentence just stuffed in there that I don't want to just gloss over how important that statement is. Because if you've been following with us, we've read how the disciples and the apostles have already been persecuted. Uh, some of them thrown in jail already. We're in chapter 6, already twice in jail, uh, beaten twice, attempted to be shamed multiple times, uh, have been told not to speak in the name of Jesus. And so these priests that had become obedient to the faith, were most likely some of the exact same priests who beat the disciples days prior. 
who punished them weeks prior. Who condemned Christ to be crucified prior to this. Think about that for a second. I, just want, I don't want to bypass over that because that's so important. Sometimes we do not know the impact that we can make that a single conversation, that an interaction, that staying steadfast or resolute in our faith, the speaking the truth in love, saying, no, we are not going to obey you. We're going to obey God. I didn't like that at the time, yet some of the priests even became obedient to the faith. Isn't that incredible? Like, just when I was studying this week, I, just, I, I don't want to ever think that, oh, it's not a big deal. Everything you say and how you say it, and what you do, and how you act, and how you profess the love of Jesus Christ is very important. Because you never know. That person, you might be thinking that, oh, there's no hope for them. Now they'll never get it. They're, they'll never understand. God is still in the business of doing miracles. We already mentioned Jonah earlier this morning. He didn't want to go to Nineveh because he just didn't want him to repent. If you read the book, he's just, ah, I don't even want to deal with them. Because he knew that when God showed up, they would repent. He didn't want to deal with that. Enter the whale. So anyway, we're not talking about Jonah today. So I just want to, I didn't want to breeze over that because that, that sets the stage for where we're going next week and in future weeks. On Sunday nights, we are in a series in the Fruits of the Spirit. And what we're doing every week is we're talking about how one of the fruits of the Spirit, found in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, is not equal, not equal sign, to something that the world might equate and say that's the same thing. And so what we're doing every week, and I'm thankful to be teaching that along with Ben, uh, flipping, flopping weeks, and and uh, so that's been a really good time and good discussion. So if you've been a part of that, you're going to hear a little bit of that fall into where we're at this morning because a few weeks ago we had a, a great two was it two and a half hours I don't know it was good it was a good time uh, if you're I mean, our kids are just sitting down the hall kind of eat McDonald's and you know if seven go in and six come out uh, <laughs> so be it but we're having a good time you know uh, reading the word together and having good discussion and uh, a couple weeks ago we uh, we had uh, kindness is not equal to social justice. And we're going to revisit that a little bit this morning because we might be tempted to read this passage in, in, in chapter 6, verses 1 through 7, and arguably the world without a discerning mind, without the knowledge of the Holy Spirit or awareness of it or being filled with it, will we'll look at this and this will seem foolish to them. We're like, oh, I, I get it. This is the, this is the solution. You know, so we, we have arguably the first case of affirmative action here uh, in, in chapter 6. There were some less than, you know, and, and a minority group that was being, you know, left out and marginalized, you know. And so, you know, the disciples virtue signaled and other fun words that are floating around in today's 2022. And they, they were able to bring everyone together and equality. Hooray, equality, hooray, unity, yes. There was a uh, store that used to exist, and growing up, it was one of my favorite stores. And the store had a blue and yellow logo. And we would go there on Friday and Saturday nights in the hopes 
that a VHS cassette tape was behind the cardboard box of the movie that we actually wanted to see. This door was called, some of you know it, Blockbuster Video. In the days before DVDs and Blu-rays and streaming, we had tapes, right? And actually, even that was semi-advanced. You know, if you grew up like I did, you know, if you wanted a movie, you waited till it came on, and and then you hit put in a blank VHS tape on TV and you recorded it. And if you were lucky, you were able to pause through the commercials and the movie would just skip ahead. And you hated it when, like, the, this film has been edited for content and runtime. Like, no, it's not the whole thing. Anyway, but that, you just, we want to watch a movie, that's, that's what you did. And then came along Blockbuster. We could go and get tons and tons of movies with a little membership card, which I still have, BT dubs. I still have it. Um, I did not throw it away. Um, my kids are going to grow up and be like, Daddy, what is this? Let me tell you. <laughs> Come around, children. And it was a great time because we'd go there and we would rent a cassette if they actually had it. And we'd, we'd go up there, we'd, we'd check out the video. It'd be two to three days. You have to bring it back in the Dropbox. And if you know what I'm talking about, you would take the VHS tape out. And on the back label there said a few words. Please be kind Rewind. Oh, what a motto. What, what a mantra, you know. What a, what a just a way to live your life. Please be kind. Just rewind. Some people can't read or care. And so you would inevitably, at some course over your blockbuster lifespan, bring home a tape that had not been kind to no one had rewound it, and so you get to start the movie, and it's coming in the credits. You're like, no! And they had to rewind it. Uh, there were no chapters. There was no menu DVD interface. You couldn't just go back. You had to rewind the whole thing. And so, so it was going, like in reverse. And you just didn't want to look at it, you know, because also if you were like me, you couldn't turn off the TV and just not look at it because the, the VCR was part of the TV. came all in a little bundle. You know, the whole family hung around a little 13-inch screen. What are we going to see, you know? And so you couldn't turn off the TV to rewind it. You just had to leave the TV on and not look at it for 15 minutes. Right. Until it rewound all the way back and you could start your way through the previews again. I'll tell you what. First world problems right here, right? Please be kind, Rewind. Uh, the dictionary lists kindness as a quality of being friendly. The quality of being friendly, generous and considerate, a kind deed or favor, semicolon, affection. The world might say, hey, they're early church here. Notice a marginalized and left out least of these group." And they did a kind thing. Social justice. On display. I want us to be careful this morning. Because you will see, if our eyes are open, what's going on in the world as well as in many, many churches. They are pursuing social justice. 
They are fighting for absolute quality, for absolute unity. And they were pursuing social justice over the word of God. There is, in fact, an official definition of social justice. It reads as follows. Social justice refers to a political and philosophical theory that focuses on the concept of fairness in relations between individuals and society and equal access to wealth, opportunities, and social privileges. The concept of social justice first emerged in the 19th century as there were wide disparities in wealth and social standing perpetuated through the social structure of the era. The five main principles, if you didn't know this, I didn't until a number of weeks ago, the five main principles of social justice include, number one, access to resources. Number two, equity. Number three, participation. Number four, diversity. And number five, human rights. Today, social justice has shifted towards a stronger emphasis on human rights and improving the lives of disadvantaged and marginalized groups that have historically faced discrimination in society. Many of these groups have been discriminated against on the basis of factors such as sex, age, wealth, ethnicity, heritage, social status, religion, and others. Social justice often leads to efforts to redistribute wealth to some of the underprivileged groups through providing income, jobs, education support, and opportunities. Now, at surface level, that might sound great. And at its heart, all five of those main tenets can be found in Scripture. All of them. But not the way the world can put them into practice. See, the world will fail every time, as will churches when they pursue social justice. Because social justice is not the Word of God, is it? No, it is a philosophical and political theory. Cannot afford to base our lives on that, can we? No. And some of those things independently might be found in Scripture, but they were actually trying to do social justice at its heart, tries to replace the church. It all sounds great. Participation, yeah. Church where everyone participates. Access to resources. Everyone accessible to the same resource. Equity. Every heart equal under the eyes of the Lord. Diversity. It'd be great to have a church of black, white, yellow, short, tall, young, old. It's a great looking church. Diverse. Human rights. A little pause in that one because you could even argue what rights do humans actually have? Technically, none. Everything we have is given to us from above. And we see churches pursuing social justice. Taking a look at some of this scripture right here and say, oh, we need, we need a ministry that just intentionally seeks out the marginalized and lost. The left out, the least of these. 
And we're going to provide income and jobs and educational support. We're going to attempt to solve racial division, poverty, homelessness. My friends, I've got to be honest with you today. Those all might be decent things. They are not what God has called us to. Jesus never said, go solve world hunger. Go dig wells in Africa. Make sure there's no homelessness. Are they bad things to do? No, but they are not the main thing to do. The passage for us today in Acts lays that out for us. And we see churches pursuing social justice, which again is political and philosophical theory. And we see them pursuing these things over preaching the gospel. Does anyone know what I'm talking about today? We see Christians, you may know some, and churches pursuing unity at the cost of truth. Let that sink in for a second. Unity at the cost of truth. That's not real. That's a false unity. If you're not being truthful, if you can't be honest, no one will actually have unity. See, people, especially Christians and Christ followers in churches, pursuing acceptance over repentance. Now, we're in a dangerous theological minefield of Christian culturalism today that attempts to switch out religious terminology. So instead of shame, or instead of sin, we'll call it shame. Because not that you did bad, it's just that you felt bad about what you did. We'll switch out sin for brokenness. Anyone heard that in the church? I have. Ah, just brokenness. We're out to solve the brokenness. Friends, you are not just broken. That's not all you are, it's just broken. In fact, I would argue that you are an amazing creature made in the image of God with a purpose. But you are sinful. As am I. You're not broken. You're sinful. And there's a huge difference between the two. Because when a church tries to solve brokenness, we're not pursuing godliness. I want to just give you a little band-aid. Solve your problems. Make it all better. The problem is within our hearts. Our hearts are sinful. We make selfish choices. We fail to live up to His Word. And when we do that, we don't seek repentance. I'm alright. Eh, whoops. Who'd you ask forgiveness of? Well, nobody. Really? We should be on our knees before God. Father, I messed up again. Help me. Forgive me. I made another sinful choice. And if we do that, what we're brought to is this state of 
like as Paul said, I'm wretched. And this isn't to, to put you down. This is a message that's actually freeing, in my opinion. Because we understand where we are. That we are wretched. That we are sinful. That our hearts are broken. Therefore, the need of a Savior. And this is what the good news is. This is what the disciples were preaching. Hey, you're sinful. Oh, and by the way, there's a Savior. Jesus Christ, who came, who lived, who died, who rose again, so that you and I might have an eternity with God forever forgiven. That's the good news, is it not? So that's what they're preaching. That's what they're teaching, that you... Once we recognize our sinfulness and recognize our brokenness, because I don't care how good you are, how holy you think you are by the worldly standards, you know your heart's messed up. That you are not perfect. So we need good news today. Because you're not going to get it on CNN or Fox. There's no good news there. You're not going to get scrolling for hours through your news feed, reading everybody's post and everybody's comment. And the hate, the vitriolic nature of our culture. It's oppressive. It's discouraging. Our world needs good news, right? We have it. It's already here. But people are pursuing the wrong thing. Oh, we just need to solve homelessness. Oh, we just need to solve hunger. Oh, we just need to solve poverty. Oh, we just need to solve racial equality. Let's be realistic. Are any of those ever, ever going to be solved? No. Can they be made better? Yes. Eternity hangs in the balance. Can that be solved? Yes. Let's pursue that. And what we're going to discover is that out of that is going to be an overflow. You're not broken. You're sinful. I'm not broken. I'm sinful. But brokenness is in the Bible. You bet it is. Places like Psalm 51. Where David writes, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. It's us who needs to be broken for God's glory. To understand that we are sinful. Creation was designed perfect. Sin entered the world. We are inheritors of that. It's not the way God designed everything. Another encouragement is Psalm uh, is what, 36. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. This is also echoed again in the book of James. I believe it's chapter 4. I don't have that reference here. I'm just going off now. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Brokenness is there. We're not here to solve brokenness. 
What has to be broken is our sinful nature for us to let less like ourselves and become more like Christ. Social justice and the pursuit of that within the church realm is a trap. That's a trap. Thanks, Shannon. A couple people with me on Admiral Akbar there. It's a trap. Don't fall for it. Because what we're going to discover here before the end is that serving is good. But it comes, it flows out of something else. I'm going to turn over to Matthew for a few moments. Matthew chapter 20. And you can turn there or not. Makes no difference to me, but you are invited to. Matthew chapter 20, beginning in verse 20. 2020. And Baba Wautus. All right, Matthew 20, verse 20. Now, as you're turning there, this same or similar passage can be found in the book of Mark chapter 10. Um, Mark is referencing uh, sons, uh, two of Jesus' disciples at the time who came up and asked him, uh, a question that we are about to read here in Matthew. Matthew's gospel, uh, often obviously attributed to one of the disciples of Matthew. Uh, we're going to read a little bit. It gives a little bit more detail than Mark does. Mark was written by John Mark, who was uh, not one of the disciples uh, with um, Jesus. He was uh, contemporary and did missionary work uh, with Paul uh, off and on. We'll discover that soon. Um, regardless... Um, here we're going to read from Matthew. Matthew's uh, gospel gives us just a little bit of a, of a detail. So if you want to cross-reference, you can look at Mark chapter 10, verse 35 also. But Matthew chapter 20, verse 20. And the mother of the sons of Zebedee, this is James and John. There were two James. This is one of them, James and John. Sons of Zebedee, also known as the sons of thunder. Um, we are led to believe that they had a mouth, had a strong tongue, a strong conviction, uh, were bold, and to be honest, most likely mama's boys and spoiled in a number of different areas. All right. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him with her sons, and kneeling before him, Jesus, she asked him for something. He said to her, what do you want? And she said to him, say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in your kingdom. Jesus answered, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? And the sons, they, they said to him, we are able. You've got this. And he said to them, you will drink my cup. Now the cup he's talking about here is the sacrificial cup. James would die and John the only disciple to remain uh, would endure many punishments. You will drink my cup. But to sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my Father. And when the ten heard it, the rest of them, they were indignant at the two brothers, jealous. Like, look at them trying to get favor. And, oh, I want to sit on your right, I'm going to sit on your left. 
Jesus called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever must be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So it's good to serve, yes? Right? Okay, yes, it is good to serve. And what we're gonna what we're reading does not in Acts does not contradict that. All right? What we're gonna lay out for us is a as a priority list. Uh, turn with me also then to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, verse 25. And there's a lawyer. Everyone knows a, a good lawyer. Behold, a lawyer stood up to put Jesus to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? So, of course, Jesus responds to the lawyer, well, What's in the law? Law man, how do you read it? Gets him to answer his own question. Who's the lawyer? <laughs> and he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. And it's almost like in this passage, just like that's the end of it. You know, you've answered correctly. Good job. Jesus is turning to walk away, and the, the lawyer, not satisfied with the answer, Ah, Jesus, one more thing. Jesus, one more thing. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Ha! Who is my neighbor? Who do I have to be nice to? And here we get the parable of the good Samaritan, which for the day, keep in mind, was an oxymoron. In the Jewish mindset, there was no such thing as a good Samaritan. Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. It was a very dangerous road. And he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Ew. I'm not going to deal with that. It's a lot of hassle. It's a lot of work. So likewise, a Levite. When he came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side. Jesus is in this story, giving the example that the the two most highly thought of groups within the Jewish community both went by on the other side and did nothing. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him. Whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go, you go. And do likewise. What we see is a kind, a good Samaritan. who stops along his way. To help someone in need. Who serves him. Who shows him mercy, right? 
But what we also see in this parable is the Samaritan leave the next day and go wherever he was supposed to be going. He doesn't stay at the inn. Leaves the deposit said, you know what, I'm going to come back. I do have things I have to be doing. And I'm going to go do those things. And I'll come back later to check on him. But I'm not going to get off mission. Wherever I'm going, I still need to be there. Whatever I'm doing, I still need to do that thing. Now the kindness in his heart overflowed in this parable to help the man who was hurting on the side of the road as he was going to where he needed to go. What our world wants to do and what churches want to do is think we need to just open motels. Does that make sense? Just not, I'm talking metaphor here, right? Not like, well, there's already Holiday Inn and Comfort Inn. There's a number of them. I don't know if we can get into that business. No, that's not what I'm saying. This is not a business endeavor. But we want to start ministries or have our whole church operating around the fact of Seeking out the marginalized. Pursuing the person who's left on the side of the road. See, the world sees kindness as an action. God views kindness as an attribute. It's in our hearts, a quality of the heart. The world says it's something you do. You do kind things. God's word shows us to be kind. And if you're curious, I'd be more than happy to send you the lesson from two weeks ago with many scripture references on that. But we're going to stay focused. We're going to stay on mission. Because now we go back to where we were in Acts chapter 6, and they say, well, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Is it that serving is bad? No, no. But we're not going to be distracted by it and get off mission from what the priority is. And what is the priority? They give it to us. What is the priority? Preaching the Word of God. So it's it's good to serve along the way. But if we are familiar with the Scriptures, and we start thinking about things at any level, we will discover that Jesus never sought out the less than, least of these marginalized, oppressed not equity, whatever it is. He didn't seek them out. They came to him through rooftops if necessary, lower down, so that he might be able to heal some. People were always being brought to Jesus, reaching out if need be, and and just to touch his cloak in the hopes that they might be healed as he was going from one place to another. The chapter, uh, last chapter, Acts chapter 5. Uh, verses, what, 12 through 17. People were being brought to Solomon's porch and the temple to being brought to the apostles in the hopes that, again, Peter's shadow might just fall on them and they might be healed. Peter and John and the rest of the disciples weren't going street by street seeking out those who needed something. In the same way that Jesus didn't say, hey, that feeding of the 5,000 thing went over really well. How about we start... Just like an all-you-can-eat buffet. Like it's going to make Golden Corral look silly. And just people can just come get food all the time. That's what we need. Look how many people ate. Look how successful this opportunity of serving was. That's what we need to be about. No. 
Because that would be a distraction from the mission. Serving is good, just like in the parable of the Good Samaritan. Serving is good, but along the way to our mission. And serving for a Christ follower will be an overflow out of what is in our heart. Jesus didn't seek out the marginalized. The disciples didn't seek out the marginalized or the less than or the infirmed. They were brought to Jesus and the disciples. And friends, that's what we need to be about today. Bringing them to Jesus. Within your conversation, within a community, or within this church. Bring them to Jesus. Because He's the only one who can really change their life anyway. And at the core root of it all, a homeless man who does not know Jesus, doesn't need a home, he needs to know Jesus. And someone who's hungry, you feed them today, they're going to be hungry four hours from now. They don't know Jesus, what do they need? They don't need a whopper. They need Jesus. Is giving them a whopper bad? No! But don't you dare do it without being on mission. Help someone along the way. Don't hand someone something without a conversation of, hey, do you know Jesus? And yes, be that blunt. And most likely, most likely they'll respond with some amalgamous, I'm spiritual response. Now, you know, that's not what I'm talking about. Are you covered by the blood of the Lamb? Do you know that you were bought and redeemed at a price? Do you know that if you have an unrepentant heart today and do not know Jesus, do you know where you go? Matthew chapter 6, we don't have to turn there, but Matthew chapter 6, 31 through 34, Jesus tells us to seek first the kingdom of God. And all the other things will be added to us. It's not that serving others in the washing of feet as Jesus did for his disciples, or in helping a needy person, or in waiting tables as the apostles said here in Acts. It's not that serving others is bad. It's that it's not more important than preaching the truth of Jesus. It's not more important than being obedient to his word. Today's passage in Acts chapter 6, the apostles demonstrate for us the priority list in ministry. Preaching and teaching first, priority number one. If you want to help someone, friend, be encouraged. Go help someone, but not, not without being on mission. In fact, if you're not on mission, I argue maybe don't stop. Listen to the Spirit. True serving, true serving comes only as an overflow of our relationship with Christ. And living out a response to right and godly teaching. Anything else is selfishly motivated or self-serving in some way. Our world is great at this right now. Helping others and then, and then bragging about it. A few years ago, I, I might be incorrect in this, but I recall the story. Regardless, it'll paint the picture of what's going on in our world. I believe Bud Light... Uh, donated after a hurricane like something around a million whatever it was bottles of water. And they spent more on the ad 
telling America that they donated water than they spent donating water. Now, again, I'm not going to stand here and say for its validity. I don't know. But man, isn't that true in our world? That's just a metaphor even of like, hey, look at how much good we did. True serving seeks nothing for ourselves. True serving speaks Jesus. The world does not know how to truly serve. They know how to support, to perpetuate the problem, and then also provide the solution. And income housing and food programs and welfare and food stamps and medication and counseling perpetuate the problem and provide the solution. Do not be fooled. You don't have to turn here. I'm going to be quick. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9, Paul writes, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. Because if we are in Christ, the old is gone, the new has come. And I would argue that if the above list is constantly present in your life, a question needs to be asked. Do you know Christ? Because they won't inherit the kingdom of God. Such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Romans chapter 16. A couple pages back, Paul's uh, writing here, his transcribing really, uh, his, some of his last words in the end of, of Romans. Um, and he writes, I appeal to you brothers the church in Rome, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. And later in our own book that we're reading in Acts chapter 20, a few pages back, Acts chapter 20, beginning in verse 28. He says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. You're going to have persecution. You're going to have hard times. And then even from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things, easier to understand things, easier to tweet things, easier to feel things less truthful things, more motivational speak, less word of God. They draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert. Podcaster and pastor Justin Peters often says that one of the greatest displays of love is telling the truth, the truth found in this book. Even if it is painful to give or to receive, even if it requires our lives to change and be changed. Because you cannot change by yourself alone anyway. 
Therefore, if that's one of the greatest displays of love is telling the truth, then one of the greatest displays of hate must surely be knowing what is true and then not saying it. Here in Acts, we see the apostles living that out. It's a great thing to see. It's inspiring because the good news hasn't changed. We are sinful and we need a Savior. And our world needs to know. My hope for us this week, out of this message, is that we understand what our priority is to be on mission. On mission. And as needs be, to rearrange our lives and even our conversations to preach and teach the good news of Christ. I encourage you this week, if you invite them to church, great. I'm not saying go invite ten people to church. I'm saying go talk to ten people about Jesus. And whether or not they know about their need of salvation. Whether or not their eternity is secured. And then, yes... Invite them to church or see if they need a whopper. Preach the good news of Christ, speak the truth in love, and then serve out of the overflow of our relationship with Jesus, seeking his kingdom above our own. Over the last eight years, I've had a number of requests as we've ebbed and flowed through our time in ministry together. We should be doing more. There are hurting people in our community. We should have a ministry for this. We should do that. We should assist this. We should enable that. And I hope for you today, as well as myself, the rediscovery of this passage reminds us what our priority is. The disciples wanted to be about the preaching and teaching of the word. So they nominated other people to be serving. It's not that serving is bad. It's just not as important as being obedient to God and teaching His Word, sharing the good news. That's my prayer for us this week is that we are about that work. Let's pray. Thanks for listening to this message. This weekly podcast is a ministry of True Life Church. If you'd like to help keep these audio sermons available, you can support our ministry online at www.truelifemelbourne.com forward slash give. Until next time, may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus.